This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. <laughs> and this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Today, we are talking about falafel with a special guest who is going to pronounce it in the more correct Arabic fashion. Yeah, I am excited. I'm excited for this. We've, we've had this episode on the agenda for a long time, and we haven't done it because Molly and I were like, we do not know even 10% of what no. we would need to know about falafel to do this episode. So we brought on an expert. We found the right person and she'll be joining us soon. So I was, just before we started recording, I was I was telling Molly that um, I just took a trip to Denver, Colorado to uh, mm. to meet up with a couple of friends and see a show at Red Rocks. And um, I did for what was for me, I think, an impressive amount of eating while I was there. I mean, hold on, wait. I want to remind the listeners that Matthew, for all his enthusiasm for food and all his love for cooking and eating, when we once sat down together and tasted a bunch of apples, Matthew (laughs) started complaining that he was full after the equivalent of like one half an apple. Okay, everybody. So I need you to know this going in. Now, go ahead, Matthew. Okay, yeah, because I have a tiny little bird tummy. Um, Okay, so uh, the the evening I arrived in Denver, first I got an empanada for a snack from a place called Maria Empanada, which is very good. Wait, had Uh, you planned this all out ahead of time? Well, I'd like written down the names of a couple places in the neighborhood I was staying. And I was like, okay, this seems promising. If I go by that place, uh, I will give it a try. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I walked by Maria Empanada on the way to to my Airbnb and got a a chicken chipotle empanada, which was very tasty. Then let's see. Uh, Then for dinner, first dinner, I went to a place, a chain um, wine bar called Postino, which was running a bruschetta contest. And this was not like a how much bruschetta can you eat contest. This was a contest where uh, chefs come up with a bruschetta topping and they pit two of them against each other like at a time in like a bracket kind of scenario. Did you know that this is what you were heading into? Absolutely not. Okay. So okay. like I was like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to stop off at this place and uh, and looks looks nice and it's just around the corner and have a glass of wine while I think about what to do next. So I got some Riesling and then I was like, give me the bruschetta contest, please. And so they brought out two different bruschetta. One was Mexican street corn and one was the Italian, which was like extremely overloaded with like cheese, salami, ham, lettuce and like two different sauces. Whoa, this that's not a bruschetta. That's an open face sandwich. Oh, no. The, yeah, they were totally like, uh, you know, this this uh, if, if like uh, actual Italians came to this place, there would be they trouble. would die. But uh, I thought both of them were very tasty, especially the Mexican street corn. And then you get to vote for your favorite. So like I participated in democracy. That's what democracy uh, and I'm, is. I'm not even registered to vote in Denver. What else did you eat? Okay, so then I went to Little Man Ice Cream, which is this ice cream place. I believe I believe uh, wife of the show Lori referred to it as Big Jug Ice Cream because it it's like housed in like a giant milk bottle and uh, got some salted Oreo ice cream, mm-hmm. which was very tasty. And mm-hmm. uh, then I went to a hot chicken place and got one uh, spicy chicken tender for dessert. Wow, this was all in one night. This was all in one night, and then Matthew. the next morning, the next morning, I went and got tamales at a breakfast tamale place. I'm so proud of you. I knew you would. Wow. Be. 
this is this is big. Did you have to do some like training for your like endurance? Yeah, I do some uh, some power lifting. Uh, some uh, I got one of those Nordic track ski machines. <laughs> do people still have those? I was I was just about to ask you the same thing. I have no idea. Do you remember? Like, did you have any friends when you were growing? Well, did you have any friends when you were growing up? Full stop. No, let's but did say you- yes for okay. the purpose. <laughs> did you have any friends whose parents had either a Nordic track or a rowing machine? Absolutely, yes. I think probably both, but I absolutely remember having a friend whose parents had the Nordic track machine and we got to play with it. I loved the Nordic track ads. It was so soothing. Like if there was ever a a form of exercise equipment that looked really relaxing to use, it was the Nordic track. Yeah, I I bet they still sell it. Let's see. Nordic track. Nordic track exercise equipment, treadmills, bikes, and more. Hmm. Oh, seems hmm. like things have gotten a little watered down. Oh, there is no hint of a ski machine on the front page of this Nordic track website. It looks oh. like it's completely dead. <sighs> okay. Well, anyway, uh, thank but you I for bet looking you could get at one up. used. <laughs> I bet I could. <laughs> so, Matthew, l- let's talk about falafel. Okay, let's do it. Falafel. Let's begin on Memory Lane. That's a great uh, place. I think we both have a fair amount on Memory Lane here from what I I'm do. seeing I on the agenda. I thinking of more. Yeah. I know. It's interesting. So I think that my first falafel encounter, I, I don't remember where it is, but where it is <laughs> on Memory Lane. <laughs> where is the, where is the I falafel? I thought that it was like number like 1200, you know, on the like on the actual street. But it wasn't there. No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so you went, you went, you went to the falafel lot on memory lane, but like it, <laughs> it was it was shut down and abandoned. I'm, pic- I'm picturing it as diagonally, except okay, sure. like less rainy, maybe more <laughs> like desert conditions. Well, because the, the rain would like uncrisp the falafel. That's right. That's right. <laughs> one time so, this, did I tell you that one one time, like several years ago, I, I we were going out for fried chicken sandwiches and it was like starting to rain and I and I was uh, I indicated that I was worried that the rain might uncrisp my chicken sandwich and uh, my family's been making fun of me for this ever since. Rightly so. Good yeah. job, family. So the falafel of my hometown was from Mediterranean Imports, which you have been to, Matthew. Did I get falafel? What did I get when we went to Mediterranean Imports? I think Imports? we all had the same thing, which was the vegetarian platter, okay. which is sort of a meze platter-ish. It had falafel. Okay. Um, it had falafel, I believe, in the Palestinian style. I, I think that the man who owned Mediterranean Imports might have been Palestinian. Oh, my God. If he he has passed away now, if he's not Palestinian, I am going to be in really big trouble. Sure. Because I'm messing this up. Anyway, um, I believe they were done in the Palestinian style. Um, they were deliciously crisp little balls. They were served with a tahini sauce. And uh, and then always some pickled turnips on the side. There was always a tabbouleh situation. I know that we could have gotten them in sandwiches there, but we never did. And I loved taking the plastic fork that would come with the vegetarian platter and using the wimpy little tines of the plastic fork to stab into this delicious crispy ball of falafel. It was always like, who's going to win the fork or the falafel? Spoiler alert, who won? You know, I think it was 50-50 okay. over time. Uh, Molly, I have good news. I have, I'm have i reading the obituary of Atif Rafia Asal, the founder of Mediterranean Imports, uh, yes. uh, who was Palestinian. He moved to Oklahoma in 1975, <gasps> the year of so. my birth. Yep. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And and rest in peace, Atif or Atif, as my parents pronounced it. Uh, Matthew, where does your memory lane begin? Or where would you like to begin it? So I definitely don't remember what was my first falafel. Um, it was uh, probably at Alamir Restaurant in downtown Portland would be my guess, which is a long running Middle Eastern restaurant in Portland that my parents were fans of uh, when I was growing up. And i Pretty sure I first had it in sandwich form. And mm-hmm. for some reason, even though like falafel, a falafel sandwich would have been the kind of thing as a kid where I would have been really suspicious of like which condiments are on there and oh, could they be creamy? And like, you know, could this uh, could this be like a problem for me? I always enjoyed it. So wait, you would have it with the, the usual sauces on it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Bravo, and, Matthew. Uh, and I was never a kid who was afraid of vegetables. So like the fact that it was like packed with vegetables, I had no problem with that. 
I think that the first time that falafel became like really exciting to me or became like a destination thing was the year that I was going to school in Paris. Uh, of course, falafel in the Marais is a is a really big deal. And there are, of course, warring falafel empires. There's Lost du Falafel and then the other ones. Yeah, they're pretty much all on the same street, even across the street from each other. Last two falafel always had my allegiance. Granted, this was like twenty years ago. So now, is it is it not la du falafel? No, I believe it's las okay. because I think you say the s okay in as because like it, it's like the ace. ace. Okay, yeah, yeah. I all think right. uh, we would just refer to it as las. I'm going to las nice. for lunch. Oh my God, that place is such a scene. Uh, you'd wait in line and then you would kind of move down. Uh, it was like a, almost like a cafeteria lady yep. lunch line. You tell them what you want, right? And which sauces. You could get your falafel also with some fried eggplant shoved in the, the pita with Ooh, it. Ooh, did I get that? I don't think I did, but I should have. Uh, you could get it, of course, with the various salads. There was, I believe, like a green cabbage salad. Uh, red cabbage salad. Of course, there was something involving a little bit of tomato and cucumber. And then I remember, I think it was at the tables, there were little things of a red and green hot sauce. Yes. It was a total mess. It was so delicious. And to this day, I still don't think I've had a falafel I enjoyed as much from start to finish as that one. They did such a beautiful job of layering the stuff in it so that you never had a bite that like was dry or a bite that didn't have a little bit of everything in it. That is so important. Like Lori and I were just talking about this because she recently got a falafel where everything in it was very good, but it was not constructed well. And so yeah. every bite was like all falafel. And then we got to like a whole section that was just kind of all cabbage and then yep. more falafel at the end just like you can't it's got to be well distributed yeah yeah hey did you ever go to zaina in seattle or yes have you i ever did been to when I, yeah when i was working at sur la Tab, i used to go there for lunch often um huh. like it was one of my favorite lunch places i think their falafel is so good like it's uh for them like the, the falafel balls themselves are good but also they have like a really great like kind of fully stuffed arrangement of, of like salads and sauces and vegetables and pickles and stuff. And as I recall, they don't use what I think of as like a typical pita. They almost use a kind of like a thicker flatbread type thing, <laughs> and right? And do I have a story about that? Yeah. Because okay. it's not closed at the bottom. And so this is a messy sandwich. And one time I was eating it in the lunchroom at work and dripped it onto someone's expensive jacket. And uh, that's the most expensive falafel I've ever had because I paid for the dry cleaning. Oh. Oh, wow. Oh, Matthew, that's terrible. I mean, thank thankfully, I guess I, the dry cleaning was successful or or the person was too too polite to say otherwise. Oh, my God. I used to go to Zaina often when I worked downtown, too. I would go to, uh, yeah, there was the one on First Avenue, right? Like, yeah. Uh, but like, up yeah, I think the one I went to is end. now has been closed for years. There was one. Yeah. Like, I think north of Pike Place Market. Right. Right. Yeah. And, but that wasn't there also one in Pioneer Square for yes. a time. Mm -hmm. I remember when my mom came to visit Seattle at one point when I was like still very newly living here, taking her to Zaina being like, this stuff is really good. Like, it's as good as I've had, you know, anywhere, whatever. Yeah. Do you ever get falafel anywhere now? Okay, so is the is the Halava falafel truck still happening in uh, uh I don't know. Yeah. I don't I don't know if they're doing the okay, view schedule. Let's let's have a segment where I like try and find this food truck. Anyway, the if you if you uh if you run across the Halava falafel truck uh, in Seattle, it's very good. I haven't had it in a while, but uh that would be one of my top picks for sure. Uh, the guy who cuts my hair used to be like just he used to be on Alaskan Way in the like Prudential building. Mm -hmm. I used to sometimes park on First Avenue and was often near Mediterranean Mix. Sure. Uh, of course. And so, yeah, the, the place that I have gone most often and most recently for falafel in Seattle is Mediterranean Mix. And uh, no complaints. I don't feel like it is exceptional. Sure. But it. Always scratches that itch. So I got two more. This is this is a very memory lane heavy episode. People people tune in because they want to just list off a bunch of different falafel places right. that we've eaten at. That's um, right. But uh, so 
Yeah, I'll just do one more. That uh, when I was first dating wife of the show, Lori, I learned that she was a huge fan of a, a uh, like long departed now Middle Eastern chain in Portland called Garbanzos. And that she had been introduced to falafel when um, her uh, sister came back from uh, her first year at Mills College and said, I've, I've learned about this new food that you've got to try. <laughs> It's called falafel. Let's go to this place in Portland and get some. And they went to Garbanzo's and Lori had falafel for the first time and loved it. Um, and then she took me to Garbanzo's like uh, when we had been uh, dating for a fairly short time, I think. And how was it? Or are you not going to say? Oh, it was it was great. Oh, no, I loved it. Excellent. Ah. Watzel, leading you to the trough of good things. That's since, right. Since 1995? Yes, that's correct. Yes. There nice. we go. Yes. Okay. Well, Matthew, uh, before our guest joins us, why don't we say just a few things about falafel? Please. What is falafel? All right. I'm so glad you asked. So most of what I'm going to be telling you, Matthew, is from Wikipedia as usual. Some of it is from our guest today. So we'll get to that in just a second. But basically, as we've just been discussing, falafel is a deep fried ball or patty shaped fritter. It's of Arab origin, and it shows up as a street food throughout the Middle East and, in fact, all over the world. Hugely popular with vegetarians. Mm -hmm. It's often eaten in a wrap sandwich or as a part of like a meze plate, so like an appetizer plate. You know, uh, we should say Do we know who, which, who, which individual person invented falafel and when? (laughs) Um, So many people would love to get to the bottom of that, Matthew. (laughs) Uh, The origin of falafel is quite controversial. It likely originated in Egypt, but there aren't, it doesn't seem to be that there are a lot of records here. It may go back as far as like the pharaohs, okay. but the earliest written references, according to Wikipedia, the earliest written references to falafel in Egyptian sources date to the 1800s. That um, makes sense because like deep frying is a relatively new thing. Like I think a, a society has to get to like a certain like modern level of wealth before they can say, let's let's just throw a ton of oil in this pot and like fry a few things in it and then probably throw it away. Yeah. And I mean, it seems unlikely that, that that's how oil would have been treated in, in the days of the pharaohs. I bet oil was probably too expensive to be used. Yeah. I mean, it's such like, frivolity. They would go to Costco, of course. And that's like, right. That's right. Um, the the term falafel, of course, refers to both the like deep fried ball or patty and also to really the sandwich in which sure. a lot of people encounter it. Uh, here's another controversial thing, uh, whether or not you make it with ground fava beans or ground chickpeas. Yep. In both cases, the legume is not cooked. It's merely soaked, which I yeah. mean, I'm interested to talk more about definitely a little bit they're typically served with a sauce for dipping or if they're in a wrap the sauce might be drizzled on top so maybe a tahini sauce a garlic sauce sometimes hummus Mm -hmm. other common accompaniments are pickled vegetables hot sauce salads made from crunchy bright things Onions often, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, our guest today is from Lebanon. Do you notice how I'm really drawing out the reveal on who our guest is? Yeah. Our guest's family is of Lebanese origin, I should say. So she's going to be talking to us primarily about, uh, about authentic Lebanese falafel. But in Egypt... The base is usually fava beans. Okay. And then apparently as the dish was like exported or migrated eastward through the Levant, chickpeas began to replace or join the fava beans. So in Palestine, primarily chickpeas, ditto for Lebanon, uh, Syria, Jordan, and most of the rest of the world. I don't know whether I've ever had the Egyptian version made with dried fava beans. Do you? I don't I don't think I ever have. I, I feel like now no. I want to do a comparison. We're recording remotely today because that's the easiest way to do it with a guest. But let's pretend that if we were together, I would be serving you like a platter with two different kinds of falafel that I made myself lovingly at home. Ugh. 
Wow, that would be amazing. And let's also pretend that that's what I'm going to eat for lunch as soon as we're done. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to say about like some controversies surrounding the origins of falafel and how it should be made and who gets to make it and claim it as their own, I feel that we should absolutely acknowledge that Israel has decided that falafel is its national dish. Sure. uh, And it has uh, appropriated the Palestinian chickpea version Uh, much to the dismay of Palestinians and many other Arabs. Sure. So there we go. Hey, does Mr. Etymology want to appear on the show today? Mr. Etymology would like to make an appearance with uh, a bit of news. Oh, oh dear. (laughs) I I have no no. idea what I'm going to say next. Has Mr. Etymology, I don't... um, Um, (laughs) Mr. Etymology is uh, is, uh, just bought a little beach house. On, on the outer banks, and it's oh. just going to be like taking it easy for a while. Well, the good news is, is that we we're taping remotely today, so it doesn't matter. So it Mr. Does, doesn't matter at all. But uh, Mr. Animology noticed, like uh, you know, the word banks means like a bunch of different things. If you notice that. <laughs> <laughs> The, the word falafel is from Arabic. It's the plural of uh, the word for pepper, and it's borrowed from Persian uh, and originally probably came from the Aramaic word for like a small round thing or a peppercorn. Mm-hmm. And I feel like so like the word words for like corn or peppercorn usually start out like referring to the spice and then come to mean like any small thing of that size or maybe the other way around. But there's a lot of it's overlap, something like right? that. <laughs> Um, cause like, cause like corned beef, like it, it has corns of salt and that's why it's called corned beef. We don't use, oh. we don't use the word corn generally that way anymore, except in some like very specific phrases like that. In that instance, does corn refer to the vegetable or does it refer to what grows on people's feet sometimes? Like what gets worn on, not grows on people's feet. but <laughs> So in the corned beef context, does that refer to like... No, does it refer to like corns on your feet? Or does what does refer to... Does corn... <laughs> corn, does it, it, it does corn... <laughs> does the word corn mean a thing that grows on your foot? Yes, of course. No, but does does the word corn in its origin mean like small round thing? How did we even I think start it talking means small round corn? thing? Yes, we're talking about the word pepper. Okay, but peppercorn, like like it's all like you know. There, I, I'm sure the reason falafel is called falafel and and is related to the word for pepper. Like I don't think it's because like pepper is used in falafel, although I'm sure, although it is. I think it's because like the word for pepper or peppercorn or corn kernel and the word for like small round thing overlap in a lot of a lot of different languages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So uh, like it goes deeper than that. It, we can go back to Egyptian, Arabic, Sanskrit, but we'll leave that for a real etymology. Wait a minute. You, you wrote, we'll leave that for a real etymology. <laughs> wrote, you're saying- I wrote this part of the You're script. saying Mr. Etymology <laughs> isn't a real etymologist yeah, despite having an online degree from- uh, from. <laughs> The school Word, of Wikipedia? Words, W-O-R-D-Z University. <laughs> of, yeah, having a degree from Wikipedia University. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. All right, but it, the word has been used uh, in English since at least the 1930s. Uh, thank you, Mr. Falafel. I mean, thank you, Mr. <laughs> Etymology. Okay, bit, hi, uh, Mr. Etymology, I've got big news. I'm now, <laughs> I'm now uh, would like to be known as Mr. Falafel. <laughs> So whenever you come on the show, we're going to introduce you as Mr. Falafel now. Damn right. And we're just going to hope we're going to hope that our listeners listen to this episode and so they can follow. All right. Well, let's bring in our guest. All right. This episode is brought to you by Town Place Suites by Marriott. Whether you're traveling for work, need a place to stay while your home is being remodeled, or maybe you're just enjoying a relaxing week away, well, Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the comforts of home. Yeah, so they've got a full kitchen. Uh, They've got, you can borrow appliances, like if you want a blender or a slow cooker while you're traveling, you can borrow it, no charge. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, so like you could invite your friends or your coworkers over for like a post-meeting drink. You can bring your pet you, totally allowed. Oh, I love this. Oh, 
I see. They even have special pet items you can use. And they have the built-in alpha closet system. Nothing makes me happier (laughs) when I am traveling and I have, like, a place to put away my clothes. Mm -hmm. Molly has seen what happens when I don't have a place to put away my clothes. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. So, like, a whole closet system where I can really, like, unpack for reals. I am down. Well, this is made for you then. And this is Town Place Suites by Marriott. Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the amenities you need to feel at home during your stay. Find the comforts of home at Town Place Suites. Go there with Marriott Bonvoy. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by state room category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. You may know Yumna Jawad as the feel-good foodie on social media where she has almost 6 million followers. She started sharing recipes on Instagram in 2013 and has since been featured by the Today Show, Good Morning America, People, Vogue, and the New York Times. Yumna is Lebanese and got her start primarily sharing Arabic recipes, although today her offerings span many cuisines. Welcome to Spilled Milk, Yumna. Hi, so good to be on the show with you guys. Yeah, you are definitely too successful to be on our show and we appreciate you uh, taking the time. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I'm always so happy to speak to other people, especially about food. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we have wanted to do a falafel episode for a very long time. And uh, and we, of course, wanted to have an expert on. So we are thrilled to have you with us today. And I I know that the way that I'm pronouncing falafel is like a sort of American or English speaking pronunciation. (laughs) Would you pronounce today's topic as it's pronounced in Lebanon? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think, honestly, even all throughout the Middle East and in the Mediterranean, people do say it in different ways. The way we say it in Lebanon is falafel. Okay. Falafel. Falafel. Yeah, exactly. You did, you did well. When Thank I say you. people are like, wait, what food is that? So I, sometimes I'm like falafel, yeah, falafel. Because <laughs> otherwise it just sounds like such a different word altogether. Yeah. yeah and I'm yeah. Sure we're going we're gonna to revert to the American pronunciation, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I read that you learned to cook from your mother, who is Lebanese, and a lot of your earliest posts uh, were foods from your childhood. Did you did your family make falafel when, uh, when you were growing up? And uh, how did you eat it when you were young? Absolutely. So yeah, my mom and my dad, actually, I learned mostly from my mom because my dad still lives in Africa, okay. um, but my mom lives um, in the US. And so I ended up just learning more from her. But my dad is actually a brilliant cook as well and so creative in the kitchen. And so both of them actually kind of have their specialties and uh, falafel was actually more of my dad's specialty. Oh, nice. And you just throw a bunch of things in the food processor, get it to this gorgeous green color and then fry them up. And, you know, obviously my mom would be on the side, like chopping up all the vegetables that go with it. So whenever we'd make falafel, it was more of this like experience of not just eating them by themselves, but, you know, having the tangy sauce with it and having all the vegetables on the side and throwing it in pita and wrapping it all up and just, you know, eating this like, really fully fully stuffed sandwich with like the sauce (laughs) dripping down your hands. I mean, it was an experience. (laughs) Yeah, I was telling Molly before you came on that uh, one of my falafel memories was uh, eating a particularly juicy one at work in the lunchroom and dripping it on someone's expensive jacket that I then had to pay (laughs) for the dry cleaning for. That itself is an experience. Yeah, yep. that's the authentic way to do it. Uh-huh. You got to have the sauce dripping. <laughs> so something that I, I think, uh, well, I didn't really know prior to watching your video on YouTube is I didn't know that the chickpeas are not cooked in falafel. And will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to using chickpeas, really all you really need to do is hydrate them. Mm -hmm. And if you hydrate them long enough with just liquid, they'll actually double in size and they become palatable and completely safe to eat. Um, You can actually even eat them dry, but they're just really hard on the stomach. So (laughs) when they absorb all that liquid, it's almost um, like they're slowly getting just, Mm. um, you know, more soluble and just softer and easier to digest and you actually don't need to cook them. But they do eventually get cooked when you mix them with the mixture and they they get cooked as a patty, obviously, that way. So um, there's a lot of people that will make falafel with a shortcut of just using canned chickpeas.
chickpeas. And that is one of my rules that you are not allowed to do. <laughs> okay, why Why not? What happens? I have like my rules when it comes to falafel and there's like two of them, especially. So so what happens when you're cooking with uh, chickpeas that are canned is that they're already cooked, they're boiled, they have a lot of moisture in them. And what happens is when you use them there, they just add so much more moisture to the patty mixture so that you actually need to add flour to balance out that moisture. Uh-huh. Um, without using that, you actually don't need any flour. It's actually a gluten-free recipe because all yeah. you need is chickpeas, onions, garlic, lots of herbs, and then you can add a little bit of baking powder just to give them some lift. By adding the flour, you're turning something that um, is supposed to be gluten-free and just supposed to be made with like beans and veggies to something that has, you know, the flour in there, which is unnecessary. It yeah. makes it more dense, right. changes the consistency altogether. And it's, it becomes less airy too. So mm. that's when I tell people, I'm like, eh, you can make it, but it's like, please don't. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're going to be like making it from scratch anyway, like, you know, it's going to be cheaper to, to use dried chickpeas and yes. all you have to do is remember like a f- few hours ahead to soak them and other than that it's going to be just as easy as using canned honestly it is it's just the idea of like thinking about it the day before that you have to soak them um some people may have a hard time looking for them but they're right there with the other beans at the grocery oh, yeah. stores yeah <laughs> oh yeah all right so what what seasonings do you put uh, in in your falafel paste or batter so a lot of it actually doesn't even come down to too much seasoning it's more about the herbs like yes. the seasoning kind of play a secondary oh, including including herbs yeah yes uh, the seasoning will play like a secondary role so i use parsley and cilantro um cilantro can be um just a lot more potent a lot of people like love hate it you know but it's a really important part of it and the parsley is just more mellow um more herby and um just like just kind of balances out the cilantro in there so i do put more parsley than cilantro but it gives it this gorgeous green color that's iconic um inside of the falafel um and then i do use um onions and garlic and then when it comes to seasoning um really i keep it to salt pepper and then i use um cumin and coriander, which is dried mm-hmm. cilantro. So really just um, exaggerating that like coriander flavor in both the fresh of it and then the powdered version of it. And your patties are such a gorgeous emerald green inside from all those fresh herbs. Yes. It's all the herbs that really just give it this like gorgeous color. And one thing that we always did uh, growing up too, is that we use cumin for supposed to have this like anti-bloating I don't know how true it is like back in the day medicinal properties of cumin it's supposed to be really good for anti-bloating so anytime we have something like chickpeas that could do that or mm-hmm. bulgur or things like that that can kind of be heavy on the stomach we just throw cumin in there so the cumin does add a lot of amazing flavor to it it's actually my favorite spice ever I it's like my number one spice uh, or seasoning to use and um, but in this case too it actually it's supposed to kind of combat all the chickpea in this recipe that can mm-hmm. cause some discomfort in your stomach sure <laughs> now I'm thinking now so, I want to like uh, challenge challenge Molly like after after we're done like figure out what our favorite spices are because now I have all oh, sorts of yeah. ideas yeah. Yes. cumin yeah yeah cumin That's has got to be right up there for me for sure <laughs> yeah I noticed that you have a special tool for shaping your falafel patties. Uh, will you tell us about that tool? And is uh, is the patty-shaped falafel typical of the Lebanese style or is it uh, just like a, a handy shortcut they use in your kitchen? You know, I think it is also, I used to see like, you know, if you're like in the streets of Lebanon and you're ordering a fresh falafel from somewhere, um, you'll see them kind of like when they're making it, they're just, they're, it's, it's a way to make it go so much faster. It's yeah. kind of like an ice cream scoop, yeah. but it's like you scoop it, flat it, and then like drop it into the oil immediately so it creates um you know similar shapes for all of them they're 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 not as like a cookie ball though they're more flat and i think you want them to be flat because what happens is they'll kind of rise in the middle um as they as that baking powder gets activated and then the oil and just kind of does that so yeah i used to kind of see them doing that and i remember when i decided to and then my dad never actually had a tool he was just like shape them with his hand throw them in the (laughs) throw them in the oil (laughs) You know, they have like no sensitivities in their hands. They're like, touch the oil and throw it in there. <laughs> but I remember I wanted to make it easier for the um, home cook. And this tool is like $10 on Amazon. And I was like, I've seen them use this in professional places. Yeah. And I have to I have to get a similar one and I have to actually use it. And now I just, yeah, it makes it so much faster to scoop and release into the oil. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks sort of like a like an espresso tamper, Molly noticed. Yes, but, exactly. uh, but it's really yeah, scooping it up and like ejecting that. falafel mm-hmm. patties. Yep, it does use that. Yeah, we can totally. we can link to that tool in the show notes. Yeah, I think it's fun and it makes you feel like, oh, I'm making like something different, yeah. you know. And I always say too, when I just, you know, I end up sometimes collecting 
so many like one job tools and they're just like, <laughs> yeah. they're fun to have. But this is one where I feel like you're making 36 pieces of falafel. It's, it's a nice one to have. Sure. It makes the yeah. process a little bit faster. So falafel is typically deep fried, but I know that you recently posted this spring an air fryer version of your recipe. Yes. Matthew and I, so we have encountered uh, from a number of guests talking about air frying. Matthew and I don't have air fryers. Yet. Uh, yet. <laughs> and I'm really curious. So you're a recipe developer. Is there anything you've tried cooking in an air fryer that really didn't work? Like, what is it best for, in your opinion? Yeah, I've, that's a really good question, actually. So I'm trying to think of things that I think I've tried baking in it because, I mean, it's supposed to basically be like a small oven. And I feel that it dries out the goods, the yeah, baked goods too much, sure. where like you lose a little bit of moisture. I mean, you can make cookies in it. I have tried a few and I don't have any recipes yet on my website for any kind of baked goods that I'm like, yes, I would prefer that you make this in the air fryer than in the oven. I don't know that it saves time or it's it's a better sure. texture or structure. So I haven't done anything like that. I've also done popcorn in the air fryer that is 100% doable, but annoying. <laughs> sure. I, so I, it's one of those, because I'm like, okay, well, if you live in a dorm, and all you have is an air fryer. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. What else can you do? And, you know, I have a lot of like college students that will follow me and they're like, they like how easy my recipes are and how approachable. And, you know, somebody was like, can you make popcorn in it? I'm like, can you? And so I tried. And what happens is, you know, even when you line it up, like stuff falls and you have to shake it and transfer it. And, you know, for somebody who doesn't have a stove or maybe doesn't have a microwave, I think that it works, but it's just annoying. It's one of those things that, yeah, you could do it, you know. But um, one of the coolest, and there's so many things that I always tell people, yeah, you could probably just do it in the oven, um, but there's, you know, the idea of using less oil mm -hmm. and the idea of doing some things faster, like chicken wings is one of those where it's like, wow, you're using so much less fat than you normally would use. And you get this crisp factor that can take twice as long in the oven. Yeah. I just feel mm -hmm. like there's some things that actually are just better in the air fryer. And there's other things like pasta chips which went viral a couple years ago that you can't replicate in that. Molly and I are just famous for, for missing I've, every food trend. I've oh, my what goodness. Are, what are pasta <laughs> chips? Pasta <laughs> chips. <laughs> so I didn't come up with this, but I actually like made it trend for some reason. There had been so many creators making pasta chips. And then so I made a video. I was like, finally tried the viral pasta chips. And they're worth all the hype. And I just started the video with like crunching into this like <laughs> – so such an like you would never think that pasta can have this like airy light consistency almost like a potato chip it was phenomenal and that video got like 25 million views or something crazy like that trended everywhere and all these other creators before me were like hey i already made that i'm like i know you did everybody sure. did but yeah. like there's something about this crunch of just and so a lot of people were like that's it that's the reason i need an air fryer it's the pasta chips because i kept telling people yeah try it in the oven and even i tried it but there's just something about it that it couldn't replicate. I think it's the shaking and how much air gets all around the little tiny pasta chips that happens in the air fryer that you just could not replicate in the oven. Okay. I was going to ask more about this, but we're, <laughs> we'll just watch the video and link to the okay, video and yeah. we'll give it a try. Okay. Okay. I, now I want to hear the crunching. <laughs> yeah. Not I, I, to veer from like, yeah, from pasta chips to falafel, but yeah. you know. No, let's, yeah, let's, yeah. let's turn it, let's turn it let's back go, around. So go back to. Um, <laughs> we, I learned that um, like in Egypt, uh, falafel is made with, uh, with fa dried fava beans rather than chickpeas. And like, there are like yep. areas where like the two traditions kind of overlap. Is it always chickpeas in Lebanon? Or is it no, or is actually, it's it's actually a combination of chickpeas and fava beans okay. in Lebanon. Um, yeah, and I know that in Egypt, Egypt is more fava beans right. than chickpeas, and in Lebanon, it's both. But the, um, and I think it's actually so much better to have it with fava beans. Um, mm. But they're just those are actually harder to find. Sure. It's really hard to find dried fava beans, and because I usually try to make my recipes just the more approachable Lebanese version. It's I'm like it's as authentic as you can get without like you know. And my dad tasted it. He's like, yeah, it's totally fine. I make it all the time without yeah. fava beans and it's just less complicated it's one less bean to hydrate right <laughs> and it does work but yeah we do it with fava beans in lebanon as well interesting okay so do you still have friends and family there i know your parents were from there and you grew up in africa do you still have friends and family in lebanon and and do you get back there often Yes, I do. Actually, my um, we actually have a house in the city in Beirut. And my dad is actually building a house in the village, kind of like his 
this house that he wants for his great grandchildren to like grow up in and just have in the family. And so we have a lot of cousins there still, a lot of family. My brother actually lived there for a while and now he moved to Jordan for work, um, mm-hmm. but he's still in the Middle East. And the last time I was there was for my brother's wedding in 2019. Okay. And so uh, we do still visit often. My kids haven't visited though. And I really need to take them over there yeah. and really have them taste the true authentic foods of, mm-hmm. you know, from the streets of Lebanon. Aside from uh, falafel, what what other things like do do your kids have to taste in Lebanon when, the first time you go? Yes, well, shawarma sandwiches. Yeah. I mm. think that's one where you know the chicken that's like you know stacked on a spit, kind of like gyros. Um, shawarma sandwiches there are just so iconic and so delicious. They're made with only. I mean, the shawarma actually recipe, like everybody makes it a little bit differently, but their sandwiches, it's just bread, garlic, pita, and then they put fries inside of it. And so my kids are obsessed with fries and the idea of fries in a sandwich. I told them about it and they're just like, what? I'm like, you have to taste it there. (laughs) Like the way they put the fries in it, like it's just so good. Yeah. So that's one where I have to, yeah, they have to definitely taste that one. Mm -hmm. And all the desserts there too, just amazing, you know, Mm -hmm. the baklava and, you know, the true um, Arabic ice cream that has like, it's made with like ashta and things like, it's just, yeah, those are, you're making me hungry now. (laughs) Yeah, this this sounds really good. Now, my favorite thing is when someone comes on the show and says like, you know, I'm taking a trip back to my home country and here's all the home cooking and street food we're going to eat. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Where can people find you online? Is there is there anything else uh, you'd like our listeners to know? I hear you might be working on a cookbook. Yes, absolutely. So I am Feel Good Foodie everywhere on social media, I'm on Instagram and YouTube and Twitter and TikTok and all the things. And, you know, I share a lot of great videos with a lot of fun hacks and tips and tricks. And I try to infuse a lot of my Mediterranean and Lebanese background into so many of the recipes that I do. So you'll see a lot of feta cheese, a lot of lemon, yeah. a lot of mint in some of the recipes and, you know, truly like fresh and vibrant meals is what I'm all about. Um, and that's kind of the basis of the cookbook that I'm working on as well. Um, that's slated to come out next spring. It's going to be all about, you know, everyday healthy recipes that are infused with Mediterranean flavor. Mm. And I think it's going to be something that's like so special. It's just like taking, you know, everyday, you know, chicken dinner and how do you add like pomegranate molasses to it Mm -hmm. to just like, you know, expand the flavor exponentially. So it's something that I'm super proud of and poured my heart and soul into it for the last two years. And looking forward to having it, you know, in the hands of my followers next year. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Super excited about it. All right. Well, Yumna Jawad, thanks again for being on Spilled Milk. This has been a delight. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. I hope you learned a couple fun facts about falafel. And I hope you make it um, with real (laughs) dry chickpeas. (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay. That was great. I'm so glad that Yumna joined us. Me too. Uh, is there anything else we want to say about about falafel now now that we are certified experts? I, I'm still sort of digesting the fact that you don't have to cook the legumes. I just like I. Uh, of course, they ultimately get cooked when you fry when you them, fry them, right? Yeah. But somehow I just didn't know that. I think I thought that you would wind up with this weird gravelly stuff if you didn't <laughs> cook chickpeas. Anyway, uh, goes to show you how little I knew about falafel. So thank. Thank you, Yumna. Yeah, I mean, there are things made with chickpea flour that that's that comes from uncooked chickpeas, right? Yeah, but chickpea flour is ground finer yeah, than that's true. Than anyway, that. yeah, we should we should make this. Like, uh, I mean, is it clear to all the listeners that that neither Molly or I have ever made falafel from scratch? I made it from the box. You know, the, oh, you uh, made the it from a box. You near, didn't mention near that East, near East falafel mix. Yeah, uh, was this recently? No, but like, I certainly remember how it goes. It's it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Is it is um, it anywhere near as good as like homemade made with fresh herbs? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm realizing that a lot of the falafel I've had has been more on the like brown interior end mm-hmm. of the spectrum, maybe with flecks of green. But Yumna's are so gorgeous. I can't emphasize it enough. We're going to link to her YouTube video yeah. of her making falafel. I really want to make her recipe. Me it too. has, I think, more fresh herbs than I have ever had in falafel before, and that seems right. All right, shall we get segmented like like an orange? Let's get segmented. Uh, Matthew, we have some spilled mail today.
We sure do. And it comes from listener Lauren, who writes, Hi, hosts Matthew and Molly. My name is Lauren, and I've loved spilled milk for many years. I'm always disappointed when the mailbag is empty, so I'm hoping to provide some spilled mail for you today. Well, listener Lauren... Mission accomplished. (laughs) My friends and I love to do something we call whip arounds, which is when we all go around in a circle answering the same question. For example, the whip around. I thought whip arounds were going to be. Oh, yeah. My friends like to get together and do some whip arounds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't think that's what they're called. (laughs) Woo! Okay, Um, go ahead. For example, the whip around might be if you could create a national holiday to celebrate one thing, what would that thing be? And answers might include things like sugary cereal, the aging process, or backyard birds. I have a slightly different and food-related whip around I'd love to ask both of you. If you had to choose between eating only sweet foods or only savory foods for the rest of your life, which would you choose? When my partner and I have considered this question, we've made certain allowances. For example, if you choose sweet, you could theoretically eat something like a chocolate-covered pretzel, even though there's salt in there too. Thanks for making such a wonderful show, and I hope you're both doing well. Warmly, Lauren. Okay, I love this question. Me too. I was was thinking about it this morning while I ate breakfast, and despite the fact that I have a real sweet tooth, I'm going to go savory because I think that if you don't have access to sweet foods, I think that you could crave them, but I don't think that you would ultimately miss them that much. Whereas if you didn't have savory foods, I mean, I feel like it would just be nauseating after a while to always eat things that tasted sweet. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to give the same answer for, for the same reason. Cause like, also like, I'm not one of these people's like, you know, dessert, I could take it or leave it. No, no. I love, I love my chocolate, but if I had to give up pizza, I don't think so. Well, and who wants to eat? I mean, if you're eating sweet things all day long, God, I think you're going to get tired of it so fast. Yeah. And like, I mean, either either like the sweet, the sweet one would be kind of more interesting in a way because you'd really in order to like not lose your mind with with boredom, you would have to really explore the world of sweets in a way. I think I think you and I and probably most people are are like somewhat more like conservative when it comes to dessert than savory foods. Like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, there's still like a whole world of Japanese sweets that I haven't really d- sure. dove into yet, sure. even though like I've eaten like a enormous variety of savory foods in Japan, just because like, you know, then we get to dessert, like I want ice cream. Yeah, I feel that my, my palate for desserts is is limited more so than my palate for savory things. Right. So that would be interesting. So let's do it. Let's eat nothing but sweet foods for the next two years. <laughs> wow, this whip around really, really took a turn. It really got whipped around. It, it so really I, got whipped around. Okay, so that was a great question. Now let's do as a whip around the question that uh, that came up during our interview with Yumna, which is what is your favorite spice? Oh, no. Uh, What is your favorite spice? Can I say salt? Is salt a spice? No. Oh, God. This this is hard, right? Because I I think I'm going to say cumin also, which which feels like cheating. I mean, I could say cumin too, but, uh, you know, I I really... Like... (sighs) I don't reach for it. Like, I'm not like, ooh, this needs a little cumin. Like, I don't, that's not how, that's not my relationship to cumin. I mean, like, I, use I it think in that, recipes. Yeah, honestly, like the spice and, and I don't even know if this would be considered a spice, but I think so, that I reach for most often is, is crushed red pepper flakes. I was going to say red pepper flakes could yeah. be a good choice. Um, adjacent to that, something that I thought of is any sort of like interesting, like little ground pepper. Um, sure. Like if you were, you know, feeling fancy, Piment d'Esplet, the Basque ground pepper, or um, my friend Ben brought me this really lovely, like ground, like uh, dried pepper blend. And it's meant for like sprinkling on things like uh, as a finishing. Yeah. I really love, so I, I don't know if I've told you, like I, I'm kind of, mildly grossed out by hard-boiled eggs often. Oh, I'm majorly grossed out by hard-boiled eggs. One of my least favorite things. I know that's weird. I can't just bite into them. I I do like to eat them sometimes, but what I do is I cut them into quarters Mm -hmm. and I sprinkle them with salt and with piment d'esplet. And I really like that it's like a pepper, but it has a lot of flavor to it, like more than sure. black pepper to me. Yeah. And that actually makes a hard-boiled egg pa- uh, palatable to me. Yeah, I still, like, I would only try that if, if like, it was on a dare or something, but uh, I recognize that I'm the weirdo here. Mm. 
yeah, uh, like I, I have this um, this Sichuanese um, like pepper flakes that are like uh, fried and then and then ground from uh, huh? from Mala Market. Yeah, I think you have yes. those too. Yes, I those have are, those too. Those are the best for making chili oil, but also like you can put them in a stir fry. You can sprinkle them. They're super versatile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. Thank you so much, Lauren. All right, Molly. Do you have a now but wow? I do. I do. So, uh, so this is a dish that I think shows up in Japanese home cooking all the time, but I encountered it through Eric Kim, who writes recipes for the New York Times, has a wonderful cookbook yeah. called Korean American. If you do a Google search or follow the link on our, our show notes, it's called Eric Kim's tuna mayo rice bowl. And basically you take canned tuna. He calls for oil packed. I don't usually keep oil packed around. I usually just keep a, a good can, like good cans of water packed. Uh, you drain your can of tuna, you break it up, you add a little bit of mayonnaise, soy sauce, and sesame oil. And you eat that over uh, like a Japanese style rice, like calrose or something like that, with seaweed or furikake. It is so delicious and so easy. Oh my God, it's fantastic. This is a dish that is like close enough to American tuna salad that I have a problem with it. Oh, but really? I would, I would is it because like, of the mayonnaise? Yeah. I, yeah. Would, I would try it, I think. It has a pretty... Or, I feel so uh, provincial, this episode. This episode is relentlessly provincial. No, but... Uh, I mean, the, the, the falafel part wasn't, but everything else. Well, our, our oh, that's true. knowledge like, of, of falafel. Fine. No, but the toasted sesame oil really changes it. I mean, yeah, even I though that. you're only using a tiny bit... It is so like redolent with toasted sesame mm. oil. Oh my God, it's so good. And with the flavor of like nice, warm, freshly cooked calrose rice. Yeah. Okay. I, I want, God, would you make so this good. for me and I'll eat it someday? Yes. Are okay. you going to actually eat it or are you just going to kind of move it around in your mouth and then push the bowl away like my spouse does when they say, will you make this and I, I will try it? Oh, I don't. I don't want to commit to one or the other path before oh, it happens. Man. Uh, my my spouse doesn't like cucumbers, mm -hmm. and cucumbers were like the only vegetable we had in the house last night. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to make a cucumber salad, just like sliced cucumber with some of my usual vinaigrette. And anyway, that. Ash does this thing when they don't like something where they keep it at the front of their mouth and kind of like <laughs> chew on it just with their front teeth while making a weird face. Are they going to be upset and that you talked about this on the show? <laughs> they are not. Okay. No. Ash knows. Uh, they they know what they did. They know what they've done. Anyway, uh, yes, Matthew, I will make for you this tuna mayo rice bowl. We will also link to it in the show notes. It is featured on New York Times Cooking, but I used one of my subscriber uh, gift links. Wow. And so, so it's, it's your gift you, to the listeners? It's my gift to the listeners, guys. Uh, click on it in our show notes and you can get this recipe for free. Our producer is Abby Circatella. Uh, Molly has a wonderful newsletter called I've Got a Feeling that I'm always, uh, I'm so excited when it shows up in my inbox. Uh, and you can subscribe at mollyweisenberg.substack.com. Mm -hmm. uh, you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can hang out with other Spilled Milk listeners at everythingspilledmilk.reddit.com. Uh, hopefully by the time you hear this, Reddit has done the right thing and stopped uh, locking out third-party app developers. This is a thing that's going on. Oh, uh, well, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. The show that's... I was going to say the show that's like uh, crispy on the outside and... and, and green on the green inside. Green on the inside. We really need to go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. <laughs> oh, I thought I'd ambushed you and you were, all nope. right, let's try Oh, it. no, I'm always paying attention even when Dang. I'm not looking at you. I have eyes in my face. <laughs> wow. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. You should get Whereas, some. Whereas, I mean, I am um, eyes without a face. Yeah. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, 
Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 